Well, for for the sermon, let's turn to Psalm 5. Psalm 5, and I want to read verses 1 through 3. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Hear, heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch the word of the Lord. Let, let's pray for a minute. Father, we, we uh, bow our hearts to you. And we pray that you will feed our spiritual ears as we hear the word tonight. We pray that you will feed our spiritual mouths tonight as we feed on the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus by faith. And so, Father, you set a wonderful table before us tonight. So we pray that you will, again, just feed our ears and feed our our mouths, our spiritual mouths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in Psalm 5, David addresses himself to praying. He is praying. But as we look at David pray, we get instruction from him in prayer. And, wow, you could go through many different things and talk about prayer, but I'll just give you a few. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without, you fill in the blank, ceasing. Uh, Ephesians 6.18, where we're talking about the armor. And John Bunyan says one of the parts of the armor is prayer. All prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And Jesus says in Luke 18 to pray and not to give up. So as we see, David is praying and we need encouragement. I don't know about you, but I need encouragement in prayer. I look for encouragements to pray. I Look for them all the time. And so he says, in the morning, you will hear my voice. And so last time, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we started this and we were looking at one point. We're looking at the pattern of prayer. And I just remind you where we were. We said, in the pattern of prayer, there's direction. And if you notice that, it says, to you, O Lord, to you. The direction is to you. We're staring at somebody and he says, Lord, he says, King, he says, God. So we stare, we fix our eyes on the Lord. And then the second thing we talked about was preparation, direction and preparation. And he says here, I will order my prayer before you. Now, one of the things I think he's pushing us to is well-ordered prayer, but he does talk about groanings and he does talk about crying at first before he gets to the part where he says, I will arrange or order my prayers to you. And so when we set, when we begin to pray, I think we need to realize it's okay to come with God with not so well-formed words. Oh, well, I need to, you know, I could hear, I can hear people, I could hear a person in my family say, well, I'm not going to try to pray because my words are not so well formed. <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> and then we might even come to the Lord in desperate words, crying out words. But then he says, I will order, I will arrange my prayers to the Lord. And the word there, arrange, 
it means like the priest who's arranging the, the wood on the altar for a sacrifice, arranging the chunks of meat on the, for sacrifice, or even arranging the bread on the holy table where there's two uh, rows of six loaves of bread, each a loaf of bread representing one of the tribes of Israel. And so he's saying to us that we need to prepare at times our words. Now, what's that going to mean? What's going to mean that we're going to have to get a pen out or we're going to have to get our computer out or however we, however we write these days. It used to be we write with a pencil, but now we write on our computers, right? So if you don't write with a pen, get your computer out, write down a list. It's going to take a little bit of time to arrange your words so that you can pray these words. It's going to take a little bit of self-denial, just like the priest had to take time. He didn't just come in there and throw wood on the fire. He arranged the wood. He arranged the meat. And so there are times when David would tell us to arrange our words. And then finally here tonight, two more points. Number one, we're going to look at devotion in the morning. Well, that's, that, that's devotion. In the evening. That's devotion. Psalm 3 is in the morning. Psalm 4 is in the evening. Psalm 5 is in the morning. Psalm 6 is in the evening. <laughs> you getting the idea? Where does devotion come from? Well, if we turn back over to Psalm 1, we understand that there's a doorkeeper psalm, and the doorkeeper is Psalm 1, and you walk into Psalm 1, and you're immediately confronted by this man who's saying, which side are you on? Are you a righteous man or are you a wicked man? Are you a blessed man or are you a wicked man? And so we see the blessed man is a man who walks in harmony with God. And we see the wicked man, he's not a man who's in harmony with God. The righteous man or the blessed man, he delights in the law of the Lord day and night. Day and night. He walks not according to the path of, of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the the path of the wicked. He doesn't take the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is day and night in the law of the Lord. On the other hand, the wicked man is a person who what? He doesn't delight himself in the law of the Lord, but he does all of those things. We could just turn over and we could say that the man who's wicked, he does walk in the counsel of the wicked. And he does stand in the path of sinners and he does sit in the seat of scoffers. So which one of these guys am I as we walk through Psalm 1? Which one of these guys am I blessed or am I a wicked man? And as we move from Psalm 1 and ask this question as we go through the door, we ask a question to Psalm 2. Um, do I kiss the son, the person who's devoted himself and meditating on the law of the Lord day and night, he kisses the son. He finds refuge in Jesus Christ. And so we find that uh, as we move into Psalm 2, that the law of the Lord, as I meditate on the law of the Lord, I meet the Lord and the Lord's anointed. If I walk in the law of the Lord, I'm going to come in contact with the Lord himself and the Lord's anointed son, who is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus at this time is seated at the right hand of the Father. Let's ask a question that we all probably hopefully know the answer to. How did God's anointed son arrive at this seated position at the right hand of the father? Well, God, the Lord, sent his son 
the second person of the Trinity to put on human flesh. We just celebrated Christmas a few weeks back. And he comes to bridge the gap between little boys, little girls, men and women. Every one of us, have, have you ever been to the Royal Gorge? I've been to the Royal Gorge. You know, when you go to the Royal Gorge, it's not so far across, but it's way, really deep. And then when you go to the Grand, we, my kids, when we went to the Grand Canyon, they didn't call it the Grand Canyon. They called it the Grand Canyon. Um, when you go to the Grand Canyon, it's deep, but it's far to the other side. And when we think about our sin, this is just human il illustrations, but our sins are so down, so far down and so far across between ourselves and God. We need somebody to come. We need the Lord's anointed to come and lay his life down to be the bridge between ourselves and this God who is holy and perfect. And uh, Honor and I were listening to uh, some lectures the other day about Luther. And Luther understands we don't want to face God without skin. We don't want to face God naked as he truly is, holy and perfect and with, and with our skin. We need to face a God who has skin on him. That's person in Jesus. We need to meet God through Christ. And so Christ comes and he lays his life down so that we might be saved. And so as we read our Bible, as we study our Bibles, as we meditate day and night on our Bibles, we meet the Lord's anointed, the incarnated son, Jesus Christ himself. Psalm 2 confronts us with this son who's already installed in Psalm 2. He's already enthroned in Psalm 2. But what do the wicked do? Well, they devise vain things. They take their stand against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed, and they say stuff like this, Let us tear apart the law of God and cast it from us. That's what the wicked do with the law of the Lord. That's what the wicked do with the Lord's anointed. And the Bible says in Psalm 2 that the Lord laughs at them. Am I a wicked person? Am I somebody that the Lord is laughing at? Or am I devoted to the Lord's anointed? God reveals his son to you for your salvation, not for your destruction. And God reveals his son to you so that you might meet God through the death, not your death, but Jesus' death, so that you can come into his presence and have acceptance. He wants you to walk in newness of life. He wants you to walk in his death, freeing you from death so that you can live a life in harmony with him. And when Christ comes again out of this session to rule and reign in the new heavens and the new earth, He's going to dash to pieces all those who will not kiss the sun. So we need to wise up, as we're told in Psalm 2, we're to wise up and kiss the sun. Now, before we move on, let me just uh, remind you that we had some words we looked at in Psalm 5 in that first sermon. And you remember we talked about the fact that our mouths are like tombs that have a have a, a rolling stone in front of them. And unless we're kissing the sun first, you can roll the stone away from your mouth and evil gases come out from a heart that's wretched and evil as well. But if we kiss the sun, the stone is rolled away. And what do we do first? I think the first thing we do, prayer according to, uh, you need to write this one down and memorize it. Uh, prayer, according to John Calvin, is the first, the, the chief exercise of faith is prayer. That's a great, that's a great definition. 
The chief exercise of faith is prayer. First thing we do when we kiss the sun is where our stone is rolled away from our mouths and we begin to call on the name of the Lord. Now, just to reinforce the point, let me tell you a few stories and give you some encouragement tonight. Think about the Emmaus Road disciples. I cheated. I already told Ben some of this yesterday while we were getting ready for uh, worship. But think about those two disciples. They're in Jerusalem. They're all downcast. They're on their way to Emmaus. It's seven miles. Think about how far. I mean, if you're walking three miles an hour, it's going to take at least two hours. <laughs> They're disappointed. They've been walking around with this person who's called themselves the Lord. The Lord. They've been walking around with a guy who says, I'm the Lord's anointed. They believed that he would redeem Israel from Rome. They believed he was a man mighty in word and deed, and he was, but he was turned over by the chief priests and the Jews of the day into the hands of Pilate, and they put him to death on a cross. And now they are even more perplexed because as they're leaving Jerusalem and going home, they've heard some women say, he is risen. And they're just scratching their heads as they walk, and a stranger's walking along with them. And the stranger's Jesus. They don't know who he is. Now, why is it? Think about this. Why is it that Jesus is not allowing them to know who he is? I think he did it for us. I think he's doing it for us. He's doing it for them because he knows there's only 40 days of in-flesh time left with him. And what he's going to do is he's going to tell them all about who he is. He's going to tell them all about who he is from Moses and the Psalms and the prophets. And he's going to lead them down this road and, and Eric Eric Watkins, Dr. Eric Watkins in our uh, Reformed Evangelism said he let, he's leading them down the breadcrumb, breadcrumb road all the way to the cross. <laughs> he's leading them down this breadcrumb road and he's talking about himself but he doesn't let them know that it's he, he's the person. And so by the end of this thing, he does reveal himself. He shows them his hands. They realize he's doing that thing. He's doing the thing that you do at the Lord's Supper. The hands and taking the bread and the hands and the breaking and the blessing and all that. He goes through all that and they recognize his hands and he poof, he's gone. And you know what they said? They said, weren't our hearts burning when he was talking about his words, when he was talking? Well, don't you know that, see, he's not going to be with them very much longer. So he's going to be, he's showing them that he's going to be working with his, by and with his word, his spirit and the word working together and warming up those hearts. And later on, there will be another day where Jesus comes again. And so today, as we think about, think about that today, Jesus is hiding himself behind ministers. As the word is preached, Jesus is hiding himself behind ministers. As the water is poured out in baptism, he's hiding himself behind the water. As the bread and the wine are served at the Lord's Supper, Jesus is hiding himself behind the bread and the wine. And then one day, with our hearts all hot, Jesus comes and we see him face to face. This is the pattern. Are you dis discouraged tonight? Sometimes Sunday night crowd guys, they come, they're discouraged. They're down. Maybe you got some of the wind knocked out of your sails. Maybe you need some help with your devotion. Maybe young people need to be helped with their obedience to their moms and dads. Well, you know, the answer is always the same. Let me tell you what it is. Here's the answer. <laughs> Just a little Bible study. What did Jesus do with these guys? He took them to Moses. He took them to the law. He took them to the prophets. He took them to the Psalms. He read the Bible to them. He went over and over the things of the Bible. Their hearts got hot. 
became all right. (laughs) They recognized Jesus. And so as we read our Bibles, as we read our written words, we come in contact with the incarnate word. And when we come in contact with the incarnate word revealed to us in the scriptures, he takes us back to the written word because he says this, if you love me, incarnate word, then I want you to keep my commandments written word. It's good, isn't it? Isn't that good? Doesn't that encourage you? So what does Peter say in 1 Peter 1, 8? And though you do not see him now, you love him. Meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Kissing the sun, this leads to morning and evening devotions. And that's a pattern from Scripture. It's not like you're going to forget God between the morning and the evening because all of us know we need to be in God's presence, live before God. And every second of the day we are walking with Him and we are doing our work before Him. But it's very important for us to, to be, before a day gets very, very busy, to start the day with Him and end the day with Him. Now, it... I do think, I do think, man, I think there's so many different ways to pray. But let me just, I'm just trying to give you guys, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to give you a tool. And this is my tool. Prayer is speaking to God and prayer is God speaking to you. And we just got through saying the answers in Bible reading or Bible study. So how do we start? Well, what you do is you know how you go and you get up in the morning and you say, what, am I, what do I say? What do I say? Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to end, solve that mystery. Get your Bible out and start reading it. There's two halves to prayer. There's two sides to prayer. One, half of the, one side of prayer is God speaking to me. How does God speak to me? Right here. Just start reading the Bible. Don't... Now, there's certain parts I wouldn't say to read right off the bat, but I would say go read the, the big book in the middle, 150 chapters, <laughs> Psalms. Um, maybe read John. But you get, the, you get the, uh, the, the, the oil on the tracks. You get the oil on the tracks, you start going down the tracks, and then you start turning some of those words into your prayers. You start praying some of those words for yourself. You start turning those things into prayer for other people. And so you get going down the tracks and you're, you're moving along. And I will tell you this. This is not me speaking. This is God speaking, okay? You say, well, I don't really know if I'm going to really learn how to pray that way. Well, I'm sorry you will. 2 Timothy 3.16. If you read the Word of God, if you read the Word of God, here's some of the benefits. Teaching. You will be taught doctrine. You will be, be reproved. You'll have your bones broken. You'll have your bones repaired, corrected, and then you will be trained in righteousness. And part of being trained in righteousness is being trained how to pray, right? Isn't that part of it? So in the morning you get up, before anything happens, you start praying. And in the end of the day, like we talked about a few weeks ago, David, what, at the end of the day, he's running for his life from Absalom. And at the end of the day, he goes into his tent. And maybe he turns on his flashlight and he reads and thinks about God. Okay? Follow the example of Abraham. What did he do? He left all his he left his servants at the bottom of the mountain and he goes up to the top of the mountain with Isaac and they worshiped God. And if you go and look at Mark chapter 1 verse 35, Jesus uh, he's he's exhausted at the end of the day. And they're looking for him in the morning for him to come and do all kinds of stuff and where do they find him? He's up in a mountain, he's in a solitary place before everything begins to happen. And so you and I, we need to get up in the morning and pray when the coffee's on. 
when the aches and the pains of yesterday are gone, when your body's rejuvenated, when you're most fit for meeting God, learn that God's mercies are new every morning. When I was training, people used to, people used to, I, I love this. This is some great stories. When you're training, uh, people pay you to train. People would pay to work out with me. <laughs> and then people would pay me to train them. And uh, so, uh, and then people would say, oh, it's just, so, it's really easy for you to always work. You always work out. You always work out. You're always going to be in shape. I was going, yeah, well, I'm just like anybody else. Right now, I live in the gym. Right now, I work in the gym. I have no reason not to work out. But if I'm not in the gym every day, I'll be tempted just like everybody else to say, I'm tired. I just want to sit in my chair. But you know what? I, I've learned, even though it's, it's, it's really painful too. Um, you get to walking. You get your walking going. You get your muscles going just a little bit. Five minutes into it, you know you're doing the right thing. And the same thing happens with prayer. Go to the closet. Go be alone. Go open the Bible and get the tracks, the oil on the tracks. And then you'll be there 15, 20 minutes and you'll be wanting to stay and it's going to be time to go to work. But you got the tracks going. You got the oil on the tracks and you're going and you know it can get better. There's a very interesting study that was done about changing habits years ago and it goes something like this. I want you to think about 20 seconds. It takes 20 seconds to change a habit. So men come home and what they do is they study these men. They come home, they walk in the door, they go to the refrigerator, they get a drink out of the refrigerator, they go sit in a recliner, they put their hand down and it hits a remote. They push the button with the remote, the TV comes on, they got the beverage in this hand, they're flipping the buttons on this hand and they sit there and they say to themselves, I know I really don't need to be here for two hours because this is really inefficient use of my time, but I'm in a habit and I'm not going to change. And so these men said, well, here's what we want you to do. We want you to take the remote and take the batteries and put them in the second floor. We want you to take the remote, I mean, the, the remote, take the screw off the back after you take the batteries out, put it in the, in the uh, garage. And then we want you to take the books that you've been wanting to read all your life and put them where the remote go, goes. And so these men, they do all of that and their stage is set and they come in the next day, they get their beverage, they sit down, they put their hand down expecting the remote and they have their hand on books. You got 20 seconds. Now I know the answer to this for me. I don't know about you, but I am not going to go to the second floor and get two batteries after I sit down. And I'm not going to go get that little screwdriver out. And I'm not going to go get that remote and take it apart, put the stuff back together, and then turn the TV on. I'm not. I'm going to have my beverage, and I'm going to start opening a book. And most of the men in the study, after four or five days, they had read significant numbers of pages in one of the books that they wanted to read. I say all of that to say, you know, we need encouragement to pray. Our lives are to be lives of prayer. And we have to figure out ways to get ourselves there. Sometimes there's all kinds of reasons to do the, the right thing. You ever thought about that? There's all kinds of reasons not to go to prison. First of all, don't kill somebody because the commandment says not to. But the company there is not good either. You might think about that. There's all kinds of reasons to get to the place of prayer. Let's talk ourselves into it. Let's talk ourselves into obeying God. Get up in the morning. If you lose a little sleep, that's okay. If you get up in the morning and you're praying and you go to sleep while you're praying, that's okay. If you don't get it accomplished the way you would like to, well, that's okay. You get to do it again tomorrow. 
or maybe tonight, you know, you get to do a little bit more. You keep working at this and praying. Well, number four, anticipation, anticipation. The pattern of prayer consists of anticipation. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Expectant. Are you looking? You know, this is where I'm, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. God, forgive me. This is one of the things in the Reformed Evangelism class. They said, do you guys go out and do this stuff? And then, yep. Are you expecting God to answer? Are you expecting God to give you some answers? You know, sometimes maybe I don't. Pastor Sumter and I, we've talked about sometimes how we don't really expect God to answer some of our prayers. The prophet Habakkuk, he's complaining against the Lord in Habakkuk chapter 2. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen. And then it says he goes and he gets into a watchtower and he's waiting on God to come and give him an answer. And he's really waiting on God to rebuke him. He knows he's going to be rebuked for what he's been saying. But David is saying the same thing. He's saying, Lord... You, need, you and I, we need to go get in a watchtower and we need to watch to see what God is going to do to answer our prayers. Think These kids, look at all these kids' ears. All these, look at these ears. These, these are unbelievable ears. Can you, have you ever checked these ears out? Today we talked about idols and I'm sure that these guys who make these idols make beautiful ears. But God makes these ears, and the God who makes the ears, he has an ear to hear every word we say. And we ought to prove to him that we trust that he's going to hear us by waiting and looking for him to answer. In the gym, I met a journeyman carpenter one day, and I said, um, you're, I talked to your dad, and he's like really ticked at you. <laughs> and he said, why? I said, because you're no longer a CPA, but you're a carpenter. What's that all about? He said, He said, let me tell you my story. So he went to school. His family got him through school. And then he became a certified public accountant, which is no small feat in these days. And so he's a certified public accountant, and he's four years doing this job. And I said, why did you change? And he said, I changed because I'm tired of going into a building and then walking out of the building and not being able to see anything happen. So he said, I went and changed my job. I became a $8 an hour. I started at $8 an hour. Now he's making a lot more than that. But he started at $8 an hour because he wants to go to a building with a foundation. When it's all said and done, there's, he's, he's put together a frame. And then he's put the sheetrock in there. And he sees these things going up. And so as he walks by, he goes, I did that. I did that. You know. And so he wanted to be able to see things going up. Sometimes when we pray, it looks like going into a building and walking out at the end of the day and all the numbers are getting crunched on the inside. Now, we all know things are happening in that building. But it just doesn't look like it. And every day when we go in and we pray, it just doesn't look like anything's happening. It looks like we're going into a building and all these numbers are being crunched and we can't really see anything. We walk out and we don't think anything's happened. And the same thing's happening when we pray because when we pray, it's all taking place in secret. And we're asking God to do things and God answers things in people's where? Hearts. <laughs> First. Now, you know, did you see what happened? Folks, listen, we, ought to, we probably ought to have a party. 
Because Matt Morkin, we've been praying for Matt Morkin. He's had a situation for over a year and a half. He's, we've been praying, and all of a sudden, all this secret stuff that's been going on behind closed doors, all of a sudden, we got a guy who's got a new job, going to change from being in education to being in a whole, totally different job. But it was all taking place. As you walk into the building, there's all this stuff is secretly going on. But the stuff was going on, folks. And so here I am, I'm praying for my kids. I'm praying my kids, they look like me, but I'm praying that they'll look more like Jesus. And so you and I, we're praying for things to change. We're praying for a spouse that's lost and we're praying for wisdom and we're praying for ourselves, you know, situations at work. We're praying for all these things and it's all taking place in here. And what we're looking for as we were hearing in our prayer this afternoon or evening is we're looking for God to do small things in people's hearts. We're looking for our children to listen to sermons a little bit better and we're looking for our children to obey their parents' commandments just a little quicker and we're looking for a wife to be a little bit more tender. One of our men came to me and he told me since he's been doing certain things that his wife is more tender toward him. I said, oh, that's good. That's good. That's, that's, it. that's that inside the building going on stuff, you know. When you see your church preaching the word and when you see the sacraments like tonight being administered in prayer and fellowship are happening, God's answering our prayers because these things don't go on unless prayers are being answered. So we should not be impatient, but we should just know that something's going on as we walk into the building and walk out. Something's going on in people's hearts. Look up, David says, wait patiently. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently. For him, he is up to something. Sometimes it's very, very secret. Sometimes it becomes very, very public. We rejoiced with Mr. Morgan today. We need to stay on our rampart and look for God to answer our prayers. Well, we have the opportunity, as we said, where the Bible is read and preached, where the sacraments are being administered and where prayers and fellowship is taking place. Prayers are being answered have you ever thought about the prayers that are being answered or Jesus' prayers? Jesus is offering himself to, to us tonight in answer to prayer. He never ceases to pray down the grace that we need. We need grace. It comes through our ears and the preaching of the word. We need the grace of God that comes to us through our mouths as we eat and drink spiritually this food that he gives to us tonight. And so he gives himself to us. He said, this is my body. He says, this is my blood. And he wants you and I to eat with mouths of faith. And so tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ hides himself behind the word preached. And he hides himself behind both the bread and the wine. He offers himself to you. He offers to commune with you. Are you one of his disciples? Have you made a credible profession of faith before this congregation or one like it? Have you been baptized and are you a member of a church where a session of elders are taking care of your souls? Well, tonight we have the opportunity to kiss the son. We have an opportunity to eat and drink with our Lord Jesus Christ. And he asks us to examine our hearts that we might participate in a worthy manner. Sometimes people get really hung up about that. What's a worthy manner? Let me tell you what it is really short. I'm unworthy. Jesus makes me worthy. By faith, Jesus, his righteousness makes me worthy to eat and drink.
And so you and I, we need to come totally clinging to Jesus Christ himself who makes us worthy for this food. And so we need to come and we need to let him refresh us. And we need to eat and drink to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to eat and drink from this table. We thank you that Jesus serves us himself. We thank you for the things we've heard tonight. We thank you that we, even as David many times says, he sees you in the sanctuary. We know he see, sees you by faith. And we pray, Father, that you would give us eyes of faith to see you standing behind the minister, that we might see you serving us, that we might see you feeding and feeding us your body and your blood. And Father, we pray that you would nourish and strengthen us. We ask that you'll set these elements apart from their common to sacred use, that we might eat for the glory, your glory, that we might eat for our good, that we might eat in fellowship and communion with each person seated around us. And Lord, we pray that we would walk out refreshed and ready to do the will of God from our hearts. Thank you again for this time. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.